Hi there, before we start, if you're new to our show, thank you so much for tuning into our program and we hope you'll stay with us for a very long time. And if you're a regular listener, thank you so much for your continuous support throughout this period of uncertainty. We're really grateful for all your kind words and encouragement. You really help this podcast to gain a great exposure as our mission is to center the perspectives of the people who look like us and as women and people who are marginalized historically to the sideline of conversation. So if you haven't already, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Omni, Apple and Google or Spotify. Leave us a rating and a review. And if you'd like to support us, please head to Buy Me Coffee page to make a donation which will help us to continue the intersectionality of the podcast industry. Hey y'all, this is Jessie. Hi, this is Helen. And we are Asian Bitches Down Under recording in the first week that uh, we have managed to get to the beach. Well, yeah, one of us. Finally. It was 20, yeah, it was 28 degrees on, the, on Wednesday. Uh, no and, rain. Uh, yeah, it was like balmy. It was beautiful. It was like a, we when when we were packing mm. our beach clothes. I was saying to my partner like this feels like the first day of summer. Yeah, even though it certainly you know, did because it's so yeah. warm. Yeah, yeah, it was so warm. It was beautiful. It was like oh, here we go, here we go. I mean, we know you know with the state of the world and everyone talking about that thing starting with L. Oh yeah. Uh, and you know the floods i mean it's devastating the floods you know in the eastern coast of australia in victoria um you know our thoughts go out to those folks struggling there it's it is quite devastating um so you know my our mind is still definitely there Mm -hmm. uh but yeah we managed to get to the beach and uh, have a good time uh it was something isn't it the change of weather yeah the change of weather for a couple of days it's kind of humid it's it's uh, it's kind of like soupy weather. It's nice, yeah. Yeah, it feels like in Taiwan, you know, that kind of yeah, exactly. Humidity. I've, I've had that. Yeah, I've had that feeling as well. Yeah, that thickness, that stickiness that sticks to your skin, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, especially after the the heat in the morning or the midday, and you suddenly have was it yesterday or the day before we had a bit of thunderstorm. I don't know about your area, but we yeah, had a bit yeah, of rain. Yeah. Yeah, and so it feels really sticky and nasty. That kind of tropical, e- yeah, tropical sense, <laughs> exactly. Okay, so should we get into our cultural consumption first? Do you want to start yeah, so, with um, what have you been reading this week? Or you mentioned a show that you went. Yeah, so I went to. I had the privilege of attending Clementine Ford's. Um, show mm-hmm. uh, called Love Sermon, which is something very different to what she's historically done. Um, mm. She uh, wrote a book, I think, last year or the year before called, I think it was How to Love, and it was mm-hmm. kind of like a, it was sort of like a more personal, introspective reflection on love um, in all its spectrum. So um, not focusing on romantic sexual love, but the love between mother and daughter, the love between female friends, mm-hmm. the love between family members. Um, and uh, I haven't read the book, so I'll admit that. Uh, but I, I went to this show uh, at the Vanguard in Sydney uh, with a, with a, one of my best female friends. And um, it was quite life it was quite life altering in the sense that oh wow um, okay I had never seen so something so like um mortifyingly emotional so um was it a musical so um you know what a sermon is right like a religious sermon like a christian sermon so it's just like a pastor yeah or a reverend talking about like giving a uh, a sermon on sundays is like when um some religious leader talks about some chapter in the bible or Mm -hmm. like gives some central message like one day one week he might talk about selfishness he might talk about the importance of kindness he might talk about um sexual i don't know actually i've never you know i've never been to church we weren't raised christian yeah yeah, so i don't know but like i think every week they have different topics right Mm -hmm. and they try and relate it to something that's happened to the world Mm -hmm. at large somehow you know um, so i was thinking about that and i didn't really go in thinking about how um how this show would be presented Mm -hmm. but then as it unfolded it it lasted for about 70 minutes so just over an hour but as it unfolded I kind of settled into the realization of what it was and it was basically like a sermon where um, a person talks about their views about something and Mm -hmm. then like in in the middle of it they'll have like the the 
and in the middle during the sermon it will be bracketed with musical numbers mm-hmm. so in this case um clementine ford started with talking about self-love she kind of started off with talking about how she discovered masturbation and the shame that she felt but like as a you know adult um it took her years and years to realize the importance of self-love and all that mm. and then like libby donovan her friend would come up to the stage and like they'll sing a number about self-love together so i think libby and clem sang about four or five songs in all yeah and so clem moved from self-love to like talking about her mother mm. um which was probably the most uh devastating part of the show like um when she talked about her mother the whole room the whole room was just freaking sobbing with tears. Aww. It was like, it felt like we were at a funeral. <laughs> Honestly, it, it felt like we were at a funeral. It was so, like, I, I was just, I was just like, I hadn't, I hadn't sobbed so hard in so long. And it was like quite, um, it hit us all quite, sh- you know, uh, quite surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and the way that, you know, she, she then talks about her um, motherhood. Like, so she moves on to talking about birth trauma which was really funny, like, a lot of it was kind of sprinkled with her politics of, like, um, how women should abandon the patriarchy. She talked mm-hmm. a lot about the uh, uselessness of marriage. Like, I think Clem is writing a book about anti-marriage, which will come out next yeah, year. Yeah, she is very anti-marriage. Yeah. yeah and I love I, her I, cap, leave your husband. <laughs> yeah, I know, she's always leaving I think that should so be great. mass-produced. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's on printed on a t-shirt somewhere. Uh, but yeah, and uh, like it was, it was. Um, I I have written something for Women's Agenda, and I'm not mm-hmm. sure if it will be published, but hopefully it will. Um, just my thoughts on it. Um, but yeah, um, the shows are quite spread out, so they're still happening. Sadly, no longer in Sydney. Mm-hmm. They're moving to other places across Australia. So, uh, if you are not in Sydney. Uh, I really urge you to uh, encourage you, if you're a woman, or even if you're a man, you know, go and check out Clementine Ford's Love Sermon. She's playing, I think, about six or seven other shows around the nation. Um, I cannot recommend this enough. It was Mm -hmm. just heart-stoppingly good. What was the central aspect that caught you so emotionally when she was talking about oh yeah her mother yeah. her mother passed away i remember reading yeah, her book when she was, yeah when she was yeah, really young yeah, when she was 26 mm-hmm. what was most horrifying was i think like i find this is um just a blanket rule i think mm. all the smartest women all the smart women i've ever met in my life have very complicated relationships with their mothers it's just like a blanket rule i almost like i i don't know one smart woman who doesn't have a complicated relationship with their mother Right, yeah. and uh, I uh-huh. think the way Clem spoke about her mother, we could all relate. Yeah, I think that was what really was so heartfelt, and I think that's the power of what I felt that night. Clementine Ford was speaking to a crowd of about a hundred people at the Vanguard, mm-hmm. but the whole night I felt like she was speaking to me, and I think that's the power. Wow, of, like, a really, that's um, a very personal, effective, yeah, kind of, yeah. Like I guess that's what religious leaders hope that their followers. Uh-huh. Will yeah. you know, have um, you have like a personal in- connection? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I really felt that um, Clem was like only speaking to me. Wow. And it was just like it was it was brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think mother and daughter relationship, like it's uh, I don't know how to explain it, but it's very complicated how we navigate through the differences in generations and yeah. woman being a very complicated being already. And Absolutely. having a daughter, you want to teach them how to navigate in the world and also not not giving out too much lectures as well. Yeah, and okay, I don't know where to, how to move on to the next subjects. Well, um, what about you? What have you been reading or uh, what would you like to recommend this week? Okay, so this week I've started reading Beasts of Little Lamb by Juha Kim. Um, I've had this book since the beginning of the year. I think I didn't get to start a reading until now. Partly it's because like, it's a very thick novel. Mm-hmm. And it's close to 400 pages. I was concerned that I would not be able to read it very fast or you know I'll just take my time procrastinate it over it um however I think I start reading it um after you know the past few weeks reading non-fiction and short stories I'm ready to jump back to reading a novel like this 
So it's set in a very similar time period of Pachinko. If anyone have read the book or watched the TV yeah, I feel drama, like all of, I think every white everyone in Australia, it's, every white it's person, it's very wildly marketed. Yeah, Pachinko, Pachinko, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I could not finish it. I, I just, I, <laughs> I don't think it's your genre. Yeah, fiction. it's not your genre. I hate historical fiction. <laughs> I hate it passionately. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so it's the uh, time frame spans from like the early 1900s into the late 1960s. I've already started reading for the first like 90 pages or so. Um, the story commences in 1917. Um, so it's deep in like the snowy mountains of Japanese occupied Korea. Right. Um, where a local hunter at the brink of starvation, he saved a young Japanese officer and his team from an attack from the tiger. So the novel has several different POVs by different characters. Mm. Um, there's a young girl who was so, sold to a courtesan house at a very young age. Um, there's also the character of the owner of the courtesan house, an orphan boy trying to survive in Seoul, and how their life will eventually interconnect in this very troubled times of a war-torn nation. I have a feeling that this book... Uh, depicts very similar sentiment to Pachinko, which I just mentioned, mm. and also mm. Memoirs of Geisha. Yeah. Yeah. And by a white dude. By the white dude. Um, what's his name? Anthony Green or William something? William Golding or something? Yeah, a, a, white, a white male writer, yeah. Um, which I didn't really think about it until years later, that how is kind of like fetishizing in a, the Asian females. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so many people now have written searing critical Critics, analysis yeah, of, of that work. Uh, how bad, how problematic that work is. Yeah, not how bad, just how problematic. Yeah. Well, anyway, so while reading the novel, it got me thinking about the culture of geisha courtesan and hostess in Asia, the time yeah. period, and the genre surrounding girls working as a courtesan or performers for men, and I feel like Western depictions of. Um, those artists, I'll, I'll say they're artists because I believe when they first started as this occupation, they are artists because they're trained to be very skillful in a lot of things. I mean, reading through this novel that um, I think it was slowly, at the very beginning, there's only a brief mention of how the girls was trained and what kind of things that they need to do or learn. Mm, mm. Um Geisha and courtesan, some people will consider that like a euphemism for sex workers in the olden yeah, days. Yeah. And the culture of geisha are quite fascinating because they're very skillful artists. You know, they need to know how to play certain instruments, to dance, to recite poems, to learn foreign language. And I would think they're almost like professionals that need to soothe someone's souls and entertain them. And they're just more than sex i think um the modern world have probably sexualized those professions because they are the patrons are mostly men yeah only in two very recent years that we're seeing like male hosters in japan and also Korea. really yeah oh, there's male that. ones as well i think they yeah. have them in taiwan but i'm not quite sure probably have to look it up i'm sure they have i'm sure they have yeah so um again it's very patriarchal of course um I think sometimes the relationship has been narrated into an extension to become like a mistress that the client. This is what I know from reading and observing, you know, the social commentaries of Taiwan that the clients can book a hostess for a number of years where the this right. so-called their owner or their master will yeah. pay her expense, like living expenses in exchange of personal comforts. Um, not just sex, you know, intimate relationships where they yeah. the woman will offer entertainment, intellectual conversations. It really got me thinking about um, if there's no constraint of marriage, will we be, and if there's no constraint of gender stereotypical ideas, is this the ideal polyamorous sort of relationship where that you can commit to someone but you don't have to... Like, if you put out 
I don't know how to talk about this because I'm still in the process of thinking about how this kind of relationship work in the modern world because we see a lot of relation polyamorous relationships that you would devote in multiple people, but more yeah, people but give you different sort of um, um, personal satisfactions or pleasures in yeah, the relationship. Yeah, yeah, but at the end of the day, it's different because this is based on money. It is, yeah, of course, yeah. And there's also yeah, power dynamics as well. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. Yeah, definitely. But so it's a, like a, it's a commercial exchange. That's you know? right, yeah. And, and like you said, it's almost like a formalisation of things that women already do or give to their husbands for free. That's right, yeah. You know, or their partners, you know, often mm-hmm. like you, what you said... Um, um, personal comforts and you know having the skill to do all those kind of uh, interpersonal um, connections mm-hmm. that work is not monetarily usually you know um, uh, remunerated that's you right know, women do yeah. that every single day mm-hmm. uh, across the world but it's not remunerated yeah um, and, and it got me thinking about what you're thinking about this whole uh, um, world of hostesses mm-hmm. it kind of reminded me of um you know the show tokyo vice that i was obsessed with earlier <laughs> yes. with and and so uh-huh. um and in that in that show um there's a american woman who is you know in remember she i forget her name she ran away Samantha? from I like a very conventional Samantha. home yeah like religious yeah, sort of. Yeah, uh, and then she uh-huh. ended up in. She was a white woman who ended up in Tokyo, and she was kind of like this. Yes, she, she, she become, wasn't a sex worker. She, but she became she was a, a hostess, hostess yeah, at a nightclub mm-hmm. situation. Yeah, yeah. So those things seem to be very. I mean, on, on the outside, you and I, we don't know this world, so mm-hmm. like we've never known anyone in it, or we haven't worked in it, so it seems quite complicated and murky. But I'm sure they have like in little inside knowledge that make it all kind of work smoothly. Yeah, that's very true. And also that I do wonder that a lot of stories that I've seen about hostess or courtesan or geisha, they eventually like woman fell in falls in love. So right, how are right. you going to monetary trade in that kind of feeling? Like is that tradable? Is it are you going to put a money value over the person that you eventually fall in love with? Right, yeah. You know? yeah. And it gets really complicated. I don't know what others think, but yeah. I, I yeah. Guess How, so, so what is this book called, Helen? Beast of Little Land. Um, oh, yeah, yes. It's, can you show Ju, me the cover? Juha Kin. Yeah, this one. Yeah, so, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. so it has yeah. tigers on the tigers cover. Tigers on the cover. Very it looks floral. like Pachinko's cover. Yeah, I, I often wonder that they get they got the same illustrators. Oh, yeah, Helen, um, you know they just like... Book cover. Um, they, you know they just fully um, kind of recycle these things. Yeah. When something works, they yeah, recycle. Yeah, go, go through the bookshop. That, yeah, even yeah. In my, my, my daughter picks up, like, like she asks her, oh, there's similarities between these book covers. Why is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. because it works, you know, and they um, they stick to what works, mm-hmm. you know. Like after, yeah, after after um, Sally Rooney's books came out, heaps of books Looks like her that's cover, kind of minimalist, like minimalist, kind of poppy. Min- yeah, yeah, minimal kind of the colour. And, the and then also I think um, Julia Baird's Phosphorescence um, came out a few years ago and after that there were heaps and heaps of books that were similar. Similar covers. Similar type, book similar cover. like yeah. book cover, similar books about like, you know, overcoming grief or whatever, you know, those things. Anyway, um, so the books that you've so, read or you, are yeah, you so, in um, reading You know how moment? I was speaking about mm-hmm. uh, the my hatred of uh, historical fiction. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually am reading uh, one of sort of like a historical <laughs> yeah. fiction. It's, Contradicting yeah. yourself again. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, like this one, uh, I picked it up because it's about translation. Mm-hmm. So it's by R.F. Kwan. Uh, she's a young American writer, I believe, and she's written a few speculative fiction slash fantasy books. This one, uh, her latest, is called Babel, and it came out last month, and everyone is talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to the woman on YouTube who gave me this recommendation. Uh, so uh, it's like a, it's what people would call dark academia, which is kind of like this aesthetic of uh, mostly dress sense. You know, think Harry Potter, think. Uh, Donna Tartt's The Secret History kind of-esque, uh, you know, um, all these 
stories are set in a university setting mm-hmm. uh, and it revolves around students acquiring new knowledge. Now, this book, Babel, if I haven't already mentioned this book, it's the title, Babel, um, is about uh, this young boy who is brought from Canton, which I believe is like old Hong Kong in the Canton, late 1800s. No, it's Guangdong, Guangdong, the oh, okay. north of Hong Kong, yeah. Okay, thanks for that, Helen. Um, and uh, taken to London, where there's uh-huh. a fictional place called the Institute of Translation, also called Tran- uh, Babel. So this is like completely made up, uh, and it's situated in Oxford. Now I don't know Oxford. I've never been there. I've only ever been to London for a couple of days, so I don't know the geography very well. Um, but you know, I started listening to it on the audio book um, and kind of got into it. But now I have the book in front of me, so I'll follow it through mm-hmm. while reading, which is my favorite thing in the world. Uh, yeah, and uh, it's about this young boy who is brought there and, you know, studies uh, translation. And the book is kind of like about the violence of translation, about how... Because um, mm. in this fictional world, yeah. the author has made it that um, uh, everything is take ev- everything from other cultures is taken in by this translation institute and translated into English. There's no reverse uh, process. So it's like this. I uh, it's kind of extending on the idea that translation is an act of violence and colonialism, right? Mm-hmm. Taking possession like English of people other thinking properties. they can access, yeah, yeah, exactly. English people thinking that they can access anything from the outside and bring it into their own world mm-hmm. without uh, any form of recomp- uh, any form of financial compensation to those people whose ideas they have taken. Um, yeah, so far. I mean, it's a very thick book. It's like over 500 pages. I oh, believe my it's goodness. 550, 50 pages. Wow, okay. So it's like, yeah, it's not as long as, say, like Hannah Yanagara's um, Little you know, Life uh, or, or, or the Paradise. book that she... What's yeah, the Two Paradise. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, but I, I guess I'm kind of trying to get into it, Helen, because it's a different... Like, I, you know I don't read genre fiction. Mm. So this is genre fiction. So, um, so far, I'm, yeah, enjoying it and getting into it. Okay. Oh, yeah. good work. Okay. And the other book that you mentioned, it's about yeah, translation so I, as well, is yeah, it? Yeah. Um, Jhumpa Lahiri, obviously, before you guys know, is a, a massive figurehead in um, the world of writing and... Uh, Ivy League uh, colleges. She teaches at Princeton. She teaches co- uh, creative writing and translation. She uh, is famously someone who, you know, has an Indian background but uh, studied and then started tra- writing in Italian a few years ago mm-hmm. in her adult life. I think she started in her tw- late 20s or 30s. And, uh, yeah, this one, this book is called... Um, translating myself and others it's a beautiful green hardback and it's just a collection of essays about her thoughts about translation and it's beautiful like her writing it, when you read it it's just like i, I mentioned her a few months ago and mm, i'm sure did. helen you remember yeah uh, her when i encountered her uh her first ever book of short stories called the interpreter of man delays i believe it's called and uh yeah this book is like all her previous writing absolutely flawless like reading Jhumpa Lahiri is like touching silk always like Mm. or is like um encountering the most exquisite you know um have you ever seen that um 150 hour cake chocolate cake on YouTube (laughs) is that like fast forward of uh chocolate cake being made or no it's like a very it's like just a it's like a 15 minute video of a guy making a chocolate cake that takes him 150 hours. Uh-huh. So it's like a very luxurious cake. Um, reading Jumbala here is like, it's kind of like that cake. It's just like the most decadent, beautiful. I, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of, kind of like randomly picking off velvety of my brain. It's like, it's smooth. just like, I'm just trying to think of the. Yeah, I can't think of anything better than Jumba Lahiri's writing is like touching the most expensive silk in the in the in the world. Mm. It's absolutely flawless, and you feel like you're just listening to someone who is so in control and so effortlessly and graciously and gracefully in control of her craft, which mm. is writing. Yeah, it's just absolutely uh, exquisite her writing. Yeah. I'll be looking forward to read that later after you yeah, read the book. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It sounds very amazing. Okay, so let's take a break now. And when we come back, uh, Jess and I will be talking about one of the 
Australian TV dramas that both of us have been watching this week, and we yeah. want delving into some uh, explorations of race, um, social issues from this drama. Yeah, it's called The Twelve, and it's on Binge or Foxtel, uh, and we'll be right back to talk about it. So we're back. So um, basically I got into The Twelve uh, mm-hmm. because of my friend Billy who... Gave it a review on the podcast, uh, The Pilot Club. And um, it's an Australian drama. Mm. And uh, I believe it's... How many episodes is it? Do you know? I actually... Eight or ten. I haven't finished a whole series. Yeah, and and they're about 45 to 50 minute episodes. Mm -hmm. And I have to thank Billy for getting me into this because I usually don't watch Australian TV. (laughs) I just... I find it very... um, and, And actually... It's it's interesting that I'm saying this because um, this show doesn't deviate from my previous thoughts about Australian TV, which is that it's they're very depressing, mm-hmm. and often there's no joy in it. That's what that's my British criticism of Australian TV. Often it's so it's either like really like stupid like Aussie adventures kind of type, <laughs> the comedy, yeah, like ridiculous, like all like upper middle bogans, which I love, you yeah. know. Uh, um, I, I, or like you know, there's a lot of awesome comedy on ABC iView, for instance, mm-hmm. like you know Utopia or The Librarians. They're great, um, but I don't usually. I just I don't know naturally. Just you know, listeners all know I naturally just gravitate towards American um, content. Yeah, that's which I know true. I should be yeah. ashamed about. But anyway, but you did so, recommend um, one of the TV, like a short drama, to my daughter the other week. The PM's oh, daughter yeah, the, on ABC. The PM's daughter. I think is that's brilliant. really good. Yeah. The PM's daughter. For all you guys out there, this is a random recommendation. So mm-hmm. um, I think my partner and I discovered it when we went to a hotel for our anniversary, and we were and like my favorite thing to do at a hotel is to watch TV because I, I just I, we don't have <laughs> we a don't TV do at that at home we, like, you yeah, don't randomly like, go through the channels TV, yeah you know? yeah exactly <laughs> who does that <laughs> um, and so like and it was the afternoon and I opened uh, I turned it on and the PM's daughter was playing mm-hmm. and I was like what is this this yeah. is so good and it's like it's just this brilliant um, sort of young teenage drama it's YA basically yes and like I I I just think it was so great because um it it follows the fictional life of a young girl I think she's around 12 she's like she's more like 15 or 16 oh is she okay so she's she's like senior high yeah Yeah, senior high she's in Canberra she's um and uh, and she's the daughter of a newly yeah newly elected Prime Minister who yeah. has who is um, Spanish, Spanish, I think, or Spanish, yeah, Spanish yeah, background. background. Yeah. yeah, so brilliant, brilliant kind of um, con- kind of brilliant uh, take on the reimagined world if a woman of color been there. Yeah, being, brilliant premise yeah, already. Yeah, and and uh, and I found it so great because they raised the stakes. Like for me, I was just kind of like laughed because you know what, like like the sort of espionage she gets involved in is so not what. We think of us when we think of Australian politics. We just think when we think of Australian politics, we just think stupid white male um, scandals, you know, sex scandals or whatever, <laughs> incompetency, right? Incompetency. Um, but this, yes, yeah, this show so far. Yeah. I mean, I only watched like one or two episodes. But Helen, you said your yeah, eight, we, nine we year old finished the whole thing. Yeah, she was so into it. We were watching two episodes a night after dinner, and she just found it like she likes to. She likes the genre surrounding like detective and especially if it's focusing on the female character. Exactly. Yeah, and she she asks so much questions that I found really fascinating nowadays that kids are so pre... What's the word? Like, they're mature too early. Precocious. Precocious, exactly. They're, yeah. they're so precocious about their understanding about politics, you know, the nastiness and toxicity <laughs> of the whole scenario. Yeah, yeah, it's, but it's the so PN's brilliant. daughter is really good. I think um, adults can watch it as well. Oh, it's yeah. so watchable. It's so, and, yeah. and I love the lead actor. Actor, I love yeah. the lead actor. I don't know her name, but she's just brilliant. Yeah. She's so brilliant. Mm-hmm. I really liked her. So, um, moving on to the twelve. Uh, <laughs> it's basically it's set in Parramatta. So. It's great, like seeing kind of familiar um, uh, we up, scenario. Yeah, yeah well, seems... Helen and I, we grew up in Carlingford, mm-hmm. and we went to Parramatta a lot. Oh, yeah, when we were growing but up. Ever, and Helen got married in Parramatta. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was 
so there was one scene like along Parramatta River. I'm like, yeah. ooh, okay, this is where I got proposed. <laughs> oh, so okay, funny. that's sweet. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, so it's a, about a trial, basically, mm-hmm. of a missing a teenager. Uh, Claire Spear. Yeah, 14-year-old Claire Spears, whose body was never found, but mm. basically her aunt is accused. So immediately I was, like, really into this series because not only is it set in um, Parramatta, another reason was Brendan Cowell's in it. And, like, I Who's that? sort Who, of who gave, does he play? Oh, Brendan Cowell is um, the seedy kind of awfully shaped weird guy who um, is always the... I don't remember his name in the series. Um, is he one of the jury? Yeah, yeah, he's on the jury. He's on the jury. He's the sleazy guy who, oh. like, is so distasteful and, like, looks like a homeless man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he and gambles kind of, and he's in Yeah, he dead. gambles. Okay, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I remember that. I remember him. Yeah. yeah. No wonder I think that he looks he's familiar. Gross. Yeah. Yeah. He plays so a very he, um, nasty character. Yeah. Yeah, and he's, like, he plays it brilliantly. Uh-huh. And um, Brendan Cowell, like, I did not really enjoy his book Plum. I thought it was very, like, just so broy and, like, yeah. trying to bring back the whole Norman Mailer-esque um, it was just oh, I, I tried Races, to sexes, I tried to not thrash type. it in my review, and I hope <laughs> I did an okay job in being subtle about my feelings about it. But like I find, I find that um, watching him in this show, I've got a soft spot for him now because he he brings out that character so well, mm-hmm. like this kind of gross masculinity. Yeah, he's just gross. He's so gross in yes. here, and I love it. Um, Brooke Satchel plays um, like all of these characters will go one by one. Um, you know, uh, um, I, 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 we will talk about one by one, but like basically the premise is, you know, there's 12 people on the jury and we follow their lives as well as, as well as the court case. Now the two, um, barristers and, you know, um, they're very, very well in this role, role placed is, uh, the prosecution is, um, uh, Martha Dusseldorf. Uh, she plays mm-hmm. Janet King, I think, um from several years ago, who also was, like, in the same similar role. So it's like she didn't even have to change her, you know, her um, character. Mm. Um, Sam Neill is... Um, Colby, the defence... Colby, yeah, uh, yeah. Prosecutor? Yeah, yeah. 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 So, sorry, um, uh, the female, um, she's the crown, so she's, like, trying to, you know, put um, Kate uh, Mulvaney's character into court. And um, Kate Lawson is who she plays. She's the aunt. And uh, what I was going to say before is um, what I love this series. Um, I kind of got into it because it's it's about an aunt and a niece relationship, mm-hmm. which I really liked because mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of in a lot of narratives that we consume, it's not it's that relationship is you don't often have not that. plowed. Yeah, you don't have it's that. All, it's either like um, yeah, it's either it's like a parental, a, a parent or child romantic relationship. Yeah, yeah, like a parent killed a son, or like a ex partner killed a yeah. former partner. Mm-hmm. You know, we never have like an aunt killing her niece, mm. which you know, um, and I love that because I was like, I'm really close to my nieces, so mm-hmm. like I like that relationship. So like, Kate Lawson is an artist, um, and she's on trial for the murder of her niece, and you kind of slowly week by week learn more about the relationship that this woman, this young woman, Kate, uh, Claire Spies, had with her father and her mother. So her mother is mentally unwell. Mm. Her parents are divorced. Her father, Nathan Spies, is now with a new partner. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's like what I have to say generally before I go, we dive into each of the characters' stories mm-hmm. is that every single man in this series is um, horrible Every single man is horrible, probably, um, except for Alexi, um, who the Greek Greek background, uh, the divorced father of two, divorced father, construction worker, or or the indigenous guy, the Jared, the indigenous student. Mm -hmm. Um, But besides those two men, everyone else is. Every other man is. Oh, what about the? um, There's a Farad. um, Oh yeah, he's so sweet. And also, I we haven't we haven't seen much of the Asian middle-aged man That's, as well. Trevor? That is very... Trevor, yeah, yeah. That is very interesting. Yeah, we don't get Trevor's background. We don't get the... And also there's Mark, a Jewish old man, Peter. Yeah, yeah. Um, He gets... He develops a relationship with the older woman who yeah. we also don't really learn much about. Mm-hmm. There's the uh, vegan, the sort of middle-aged... Younger middle-aged woman who's a vegan 
and she announces that in the first episode. And she's really into astrology. Remember oh, that? Oh, yeah. That woman, the white woman? Yeah. Um, and then there's, there's the, a couple the of young, side characters that we don't see Yeah, much. that we never get. Yeah, and then yeah. there's a young boy who's like probably early 20s who's always got his headphones on. Yeah, he didn't ha- and he, he hasn't had he a d- line yet. He know, hasn't said anything yet. I'm just and waiting like, to I'm, see what they're going to give him. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm waiting for his backstory to evolve. Evolve. I cannot wait for that. I'm not sure if they're even going to go into him. I know. It's just so strange that they... I, I guess you, you only have enough time to center you yeah, know, particular exactly. characters. But they, yeah. what, what they do so well in this series is they they make you invested in every single person's story. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so brilliant. It's so brilliant. Yeah. So um, where would you like to start, Helen? Um, I would actually like to start from the first uh, woman of color that we see from the very the beginning. The four-person. Yeah, the four-person for the jury team. She is, what's her name? Corey? Connie. Corey? Her name's oh, Corey, Corey. Yeah, yeah, D'Souza. Yeah, um, yeah. I found her, the way that they cast an Indian heritage actress to play a yeah, Portuguese yeah. character, I don't know whether yeah. or not the writer couldn't write a wealthy Indian surname or because the character has been cast because of skin colour is close yeah, to yeah, right. like being yeah. Latino or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought she was highly sexualised. It's, oh, it's yeah. a very stereotypical trope that yeah. for a woman of, of colour to be highly yeah, sexualised, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we get, and we, uh, afterwards, I'm not sure how much I can say, but afterwards, we kind of get the backstory as to why she is like that. Mm-hmm. Like, she's had some past trauma. Okay. But still, I agree. She's, like, very highly sexualized. She's, like, she comes, she kind of is portrayed as a um, someone who's really into sex, basically. Mm, yeah. Because yeah. she hooked up with one of the, like, spoiler alert, you know, she hooked up with one of the jury member. Yeah, and then yeah. There's, um, there's a talk about her uh, family background throughout the drama as well people are speculating about her family what happened with her family and things like that because she's so rich yeah yeah. Um, yeah 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 so that's what i want to say about her character um yeah i um I, I like the way that her background slowly kind of unfolds mm-hmm. we don't get the full picture but we sort of sl- slowly learn more about her back her family's wealth mm-hmm. and like and uh, and why she is kind of like reserved. She's more. I, what I find interesting about this series is um, you get the insight into jurors and the inside the jury room what they talk about. And I, I'm like thinking, do they always have to be that open? Because I feel like the twelve of them, when they're inside the jury room, they're very open with each other. They have to like say their opinions. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I wonder if that's the case. Because if I was in that situation, I would never anything. talk. I, I don't like. That white I, I would, phone, yeah, no. exactly. I'll be the silent guy, just with nothing to say, because like, I'm not, I'm not comfortable. Yeah. Often talking about my um, opinions in front of strangers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder. And there's a racist as well. You know, the 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 guy. I don't know his name, but this middle aged guy who's like a investment banker. Oh yeah. The typical Sydney North, dickhead, basically. Suburb, North Shore. Yeah. Ugh, who he's just like obsessed with controlling his daughter. It's disgusting. Yeah, it's I hate gross. him so much. Yeah. But anyway, um anything else you want to say before we move on to another character? Um no. Corey D'Souza. Yeah. Yeah. She is in so I looked it up I looked up the actor. Um she's in Wedding Season, which I think is like a Netflix oh, okay. s- series or a movie. Uh-huh. Okay. I'll yeah. have a look. But otherwise other than that I haven't seen her anywhere. Yeah, before. but she plays so well, I think. Yeah. She's great. She's, I think she's, she's a great actor. Yeah. She's fantastic. She's a really good potential, yeah. Um, one of the other characters I want to mention is actually more of a side character. The uh, Not the mistress, but she's the second wife of Nathan Spear. Oh, right, yeah, um, yeah. Because what, be ta- uh, what I will be focusing will be more racial aspects throughout yeah. this drama. So yeah, okay. she's a Spanish-Latino woman. You know, and she's she had this label by the stepdaughter, which is a missing girl, Claire Spear. Call her, I don't know what's the label, but it seems like it's very racist yeah. towards her. And right, she was right. really offensive. I feel like there's a typical image of this woman of colour being the, the other woman again. Yeah, right, you know, right, and how yeah. the drama depicts her as in the way that she dresses is like animal print outfit Prince, yeah. to be yeah, like yeah. stylized um, 
in the certain way that woman of color has been always been done as this very nasty or uh, pretentious other woman, yeah. whereas yeah. in contrast to the vulnerable looking white woman, oh, you know, right, compared yeah, yeah. to the fur, yeah. the ex-wife, you know, how this, um, I'm assuming that the writers, the, the writers are white again. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I thought about, you know, this character. Yeah. Um, what is her name? I can't even find it on the cast list. I think she's Sylvia Kolako. Kolako? Yeah, she plays Sonia Spears. Right, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the second one. Well, yeah, and, and the father, Nathan Spears, is, like, horrifying. I hate him so much. He's just gross. Yeah. Like, um, he, 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 he has this, like, what I find in this series is like three what what stands out for me is like a depiction so clearly of like um what what in my head i have these like three this trio of men who are all fathers and who are all um atrociously awful Mm -hmm. so there's um the man that brooke satchel is married to Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't even know his name Jamie, I think. Yeah, Jamie. Um, and and it's funny seeing this guy. I think his name is Hamish Michael or Michael Hamish. Michael Hamish. Hamish Michael. Hamish Michael. Um, yeah. Yeah, and he's married to Kate Mulvaney in real life, which I just think is like mind blowing. Um, just just based on the characters that they play. <laughs> but um, he was also in um Janet Janet King, which was a series I was obsessed with many years ago when I was trying to be a lawyer, and I was like really into the series. And he plays like a doofus. Like a charming, comical, kind of idiotic, very sweet-natured doofus uh-huh. um, in Janet Spears. Uh, sorry, in Janet um, Janet King, uh, and then to see him in such a in this in this series um, as the husband of um, Brooke Satchwell, who um, is like I don't even have words. He's, he's abusive, disgusting, he's, abusive, he's just, manipulative. He's the most. He's like I didn't even like watching the series. I came face to face with like ways that men abuse their wives in ways I hadn't even think like I even had like locking. So there's in one scene in the beginning of the show, he locks her uh, his wife in the bathroom for the overnight. Entire yeah, like that is I just cannot I can't even fathom like I don't have words for that. But the I way that no you see it, I, I wonder because. Um, when we were watching this drama throughout the week and we kind of have our usual forward and back, forward and back um, of our texts, like I said, that there's so much. It, it depicts, it portrays a lot of um, social problems in Australia, like domestic violence, this kind of silent things about abusiveness in the marriage. Um, and what surprise... I, I, I don't know whether or not it surprises me, but um, when you talk about the the scene of that the wife being locked in the in the bathroom overnight she didn't even resist you know yeah she just accepted and slept in the bathtub or did not sleep or whatever she just she didn't even yell she didn't even knock she only like pleaded to get out and then you know within 30 seconds she gave up yeah. So it seems like it's a very usual thing for her. Yeah. It almost yeah, exactly. seems like it's a regular thing that he does to her that he can just, you know, lock her in the bathroom, punish her for being lying to him or something like that. Yeah. 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 And she is like, um, probably like a lot of women in abusive relationships, doesn't. Just silently doesn't, accept it yeah, the way it is. Yeah. See abuse as abuse. Yeah. Like, I has know. no yeah. means of. Uh, escaping i guess mm-hmm. has no means of um has no means of uh uh finding a way out of her situation mm-hmm. she's got three kids mm-hmm. you know she's got three kids um and it's yeah so um that storyline is awful the one between um jamie and um brooke satchel's character georgina and then um, matthew spears uh, uh nathan spears obviously who's like just a control freak to his daughter, and then there's also Simon, who's the um, investment banker on the jury, who's like obsessed with controlling his daughter. And the daughter is like really into tattoo artistry. Mm-hmm. Like she's really she's like an artist, um, but she's only like fourteen or fifteen as well. Mm. And that daughter, she reminds me of like the most typical eastern suburbs private school girl. 
She even her face yeah. is the perfect model of the private uh, school girl. Service private school girl. Yep. Oh my god, her face is just brilliant. Like I, I, the the number of women girls I have taught who look exactly like her. Mm-hmm. That was brilliant casting. Um, yeah, those three men are just like ugh. It's so like this this series. It's basically about toxic masculinity, toxic fatherhood, I'd say. Yeah, but it also it's because of this trial that reminded the juries that they need to reflect on what's happening in their life. If it's not if if it's not for this trial that they are being juries, that investment banker, like we see at the very beginning, he had no interest whatsoever about yeah, his exactly. daughter's life at all. Yeah, and to yeah, that suddenly- he's listening to throughout the trials of what happened about this missing teenager. Like yeah, she, he freaks out. Yeah, and he starts freaking out about his own daughter, which is surprisingly or not surprisingly that, well, you've got a daughter of your own and you really never cared about her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. Okay, um, anyway. Let's move on to the women. Um, okay, which other women do you want to mention? I have... I really like... I want to mention um, Vanessa. Uh-huh. Uh, who okay. is, uh, I didn't actually notice this, but in the beginning, she's half. In the beginning, um, she makes a comment in the jury, and and some some. I think Simon says, um, "Would I be racist or sexist if I say blah blah blah?" Mm. And I was like, "Huh? She's she's not white." So like, it took me a few episodes to realize Vanessa is not white. She's half she's, Asian, I think. Yeah, she's half Asian, which we Catherine later Van Davis, which we yeah. later learned that her mom's Vietnamese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's great. Like. Um, is it Vietnamese or Cantonese? Vietnamese. I she spoke. I'm pretty oh, okay. sure that she spoke Vietnamese. Yeah. yeah. And and the classic line, the best line in the whole series, <laughs> therapy is for white people. <laughs> that is yeah. literally what our parents also believe. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. Immigrant it's, parents it's, don't believe in therapy. The yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I like... So she's a, um, in a queer relationship with her partner who... Um, whose name, let me see, what is her name? I have to try and get it up. She actually, I saw her in um, Prima Facie, this actress, okay. uh, this actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's a theatre actor as well. Like a lot of these actors we see, they, they do theatre as well. Um, and they're trying to conceive a baby. So that's their storyline. And sort of um, Vanessa kind of freaks out after she hears stuff about... Mental health, mental illness, yeah, in the family. Be, um, yeah, it should be, and it would be hereditary and things like that. And she started questioning her grandmother. Her mother, yeah, yeah, because her grandmother had mood swings and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So that's her. I, I really like the way she is given space to develop. I really like her story. It's really mm-hmm. sad as well. But yeah, um, that's the person I wanted to mention just there. Yeah, so she's the one. So she's the one who played um, Catherine Van Davis. She's the one who played the lead role in Hungry Ghost in the twenty oh, twenties. Right. Yeah. yeah, she's got a different a- makeup on, so I could I couldn't recognize her at the first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got like slightly blonde hair in this yeah. drama. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know which else, which other woman in this drama that I want to mention, but I want to focus on the Indigenous student, Jared. Yeah. Um, just that the drama played out so much relevance of the treatment of Indigenous people oh, in yeah. Australia. That, that scene, that it's scene so was triggering, horrifying. It's so triggering, it's horrifying. Yeah. yeah, it's so, yeah. I mean, it, it's... It's so real. It's yeah. so real, and so, so, it is real, you know. It yeah, happens exactly. in our society. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. so what we were talking about Ugh. is Jarrod being a university student. I believe he goes to Sydney University because from the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The yeah, scenes it's that very Sydney University based. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not hiding it. Yeah, it's, we know it's Sydney University. Um, so he is studying something like literature. I believe he's studying English yeah. literature. Yeah, English. Yeah, yeah. Um, with a indigenous teacher as well, and he's gone a scholarship. Um, but the teacher's telling him that um, you need to put more efforts in. You haven't been turning up to the class and you have an assignment due. But unfortunately, on the night of his uh, deadline for the assignment, he was arrested uh, violently yeah. by two white cops. Yeah, so basically he was just riding his, his bike, bike away. on the streets of Glebe and he just gets stopped. He, he just gets like pulled over and... Violently like the, pulled over, that yeah, he was slammed like into the, the vehicle. Car. Yeah, um, basically like re in front of him and mm. causing him to crash his bike. 
Yeah, so it's so effed. Yeah, it's like this. And this then manhandle really him. Yeah, yeah, really paints a very like um, un cherry like undignified portrayal of the police. <laughs> but it's real. I think it's but the it's, reality. Yeah, it's most yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't disagree at all. Yeah, yeah, and um, we see this kind of treatment towards indigenous people and how. He felt the unjust um, in his life. In his right, eventually he didn't. He wasn't able to submit his essay in time. Yeah, yeah. And he was trying to reason it out with his um, lecturer, professor. Anyway, um, he didn't get like a what? What do you call as in like a reason to be exempt from submitting the assignment late? Um, uh, exclude um, uh, exemption. Yeah, some sort of exemption for that assignment, uh-huh. and then uh-huh. again, he was kind of insulted at the university campus because he was, and he wasn't really, he was shouting, and then the security car came over immediately. Obviously, that because in the white society, people perceive that when a person of color is raising their voice, is like intimidating or threatening. But um, yeah, it was just. It reminds me so much of the news that we see the injustice that towards Indigenous people in Australia, and yeah, uh, only this week that you know the sad news we heard about the murder of a Indigenous kid in Western Australia, mm, um, yeah, by a white supremacist, and the police commissioner in WA saying that no, it's not racially motivated. I'm thinking, oh my god. Yeah, that. yeah. It's so yeah, exactly. frustrating. It's awful. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, final thoughts on this series? Okay. Um, final final thoughts? thoughts? I think um, interesting to see the perspectives from the juries and the stories about them. And it also reminds me what, you know, how juries have the power to change a person's life. I mean, we haven't finished the whole drama yet. It's what's happening with Brittany Higgins' case, you know. The case has yeah. been discharged at the moment because someone's like, I don't know, maybe manipulating the juries. It's just openly bringing informations and research articles into the court. Yeah, within jury yeah. it's pretty awful. It's pretty awful. Yeah, um, yeah, we, neither Helen and I have finished the series, so um, we're looking forward to ending it. And yeah. see what happens. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. But watch along with us, yeah. And then uh, let us know what you think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, that's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple, and give us a five star rating. If you'd like to support what we do here at Asian Bitches Down Under, head to Buy Me Coffee page and make a donation for us to continue this intersectionality in the podcast industry. So that's it from us this week, and we'll chat to you next time. Stay safe, guys. Bye.